Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sussingham. Love bugs, termites, fire ants, mosquitoes. There is no doubt that Florida is home to many, many insects. And they seem to thrive in these hot, humid conditions. You can't avoid them, so we're talking about bugs today. I'm in the studio with Steve Fuse, the service coordinator for the Port Ritchie service office of Truly Nolan, the pest control company. And from WUFT in Gainesville, we have Dr. Phil Kaler, an endowed professor at the University of Florida who specializes in urban entomology. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us also. Well, let's start off by talking about love bugs. What kind of bug are they, and why the heck are they so bad this year, Dr. Kaler? Yeah, love bugs are something that come with us every year, and they are actually a fly, and they are a tropical species that do not extend too far north. So a lot of people from up north that move down here to Florida haven't ever experienced anything like driving down the road and having your windshield covered over with flies that you hit as you're going along. Yeah, they, I guess it's a little freaky. I get, You know, those of us who have grown up here, it's just something that kind of comes and goes. I remember bad outbreaks years ago, but I don't remember anything this bad for for several years. What happened this year was actually a result of what happened last year, which was that we had a very wet year last year, and that meant that the larvae that feed on decaying grass clippings, like along the sides of the roads or in pastures, can grow really well. And so what we have now is a generation that survived through the wet season last year and are coming off in huge numbers. As a matter of fact, I had my house painted this year, and those love bugs are attracted to fresh paint because there are UV retardants and they're attracted to the UV light that reflects off of a newly painted house. And so they're attracted to the car fumes along the sides of the road. So they stuck in your paint? (laughs) The paint was dry, thank goodness. But I had large numbers of, of love bugs just covering over my house this year. So I knew this was a really bad year. Steve Fuse. Love bugs don't bite, and I, I never heard of anybody spraying for them, but are, do you get requests to come kill the love bugs? We get requests quite often that time of the year. Um, there's really not much that we can do for love bugs, being that it's a flying insect, and more than likely they're not going to land where the product is. So unfortunately, we have to just you know tell them that they're seasonal, they'll eventually go away, but there's really not much you can do for love bugs from our standpoint. So how seasonal are they? How many weeks do they last? Seems like it's usually about three, four, five weeks. Does that sound about right, Dr. Kaler? Yeah, it's it's about three, four, or five weeks in the springtime. And then we have a second generation that comes off in September. And that can be an even larger population if the conditions are right. Oh, no. So what's your prediction? Is it going to be even worse in September? Well, it depends what happens this summer. And if it's really dry, we won't have a large population. 
if it's just the right weather conditions, uh, we could have a massive uh, number of them because the spring generation of love bugs was so large. The thing about love bugs, they don't bite, unlike so many other things in Florida. They really can't hurt us. <laughs> but they're gross. You you know, you drive down the road and they get all over your car. They took, I think they took the paint off the front of my car. I'm really distressed about it because I didn't get them off, I guess, quick enough. Okay, well, uh, usually it's the acids that are in the eggs that inside the female love bug that you hit. Now, the, the two love bugs are flying together. The reason they're called love bugs is they're mating. The female is the larger of the two, and the male is the smaller. The female will have eggs in her body, and when you hit her, that's what causes the white goo that that covers over your windshield and sometimes can even clog the radiator. You really should try to get the love bugs washed off as soon as possible. And we have a whole industry that is set up to accomplish that in Florida. <laughs> and, the car wash industry? Uh, yeah, the car wash industry uh, thrives during love bug season. And one other thing is there's an urban legend that they were developed at the University of Florida. Uh, that is not true. <laughs> Was it Florida fact, State they, Seminoles that put that um, <laughs> urban legend out there? <laughs> I think it was. And actually, they were first described uh, over in Texas, and then they spread through the uh, through the panhandle into the rest of Florida. So actually, they were found at FSU before the University of Florida, so we should blame the Seminoles for that. <laughs> okay. Well, we won't get into that on this show. But let's, let's talk a little bit about mosquitoes next. Mm -hmm. We got an email from a listener, Stephen Morgan. He says, I like to work in my garage while my kids play on the drive driveway or right next to me. I regularly spray myself with bug spray to prevent getting mosquito bites. Meanwhile, my kids don't get sprayed because they don't like the smell, but it happens so often I get covered with bug bites, yet my kids do not. What gives, Dr. Kaler? Why do mosquitoes, my husband and I have this, they don't really bother me. He walks outside and he is attacked. Why do they go for some people and not others? Well, some people are just more attractive than others. I guess you've probably noticed that. And we actually play a little game in our lab, which is who's most attractive uh, for the mosquitoes. And we'll have people rub a rock and put the rock in with a bunch of mosquitoes. And they will definitely go to some people's rocks over other people's rocks because the oils and chemicals from their hands are on the rocks. And that's what attracts the mosquitoes. So some people smell better to a mosquito than other people do. What about carbon dioxide? Carbon dioxide is a mosquito attractant. It's sometimes used in some of the mosquito monitoring traps to be able to attract more mosquitoes into the monitors to be able to determine how many mosquitoes are in an area. So could it be that if you're working harder, breathing harder, exercising, you could be more attracting more mosquitoes? You definitely are. There was there was one time I was out for a jog, and I heard something like a chainsaw behind me, and I turned around, and there was a big flock of mosquitoes chasing after me, so it made me run a little bit faster. All right, Steve Hughes, this is, this is where you come in. You find mos the mosquitoes are worse around water. Yes, ma'am. Uh, it's usually a lot of standing water or stagnant water. I know in Pasco County we have a lot of low-lying preserve areas. Mm -hmm. And with that stagnant water, you'll have tend to have more mosquito larvae and mosquitoes in those areas. Now, do you wait for people to call you or does your company contract out with city governments or municipalities or anything like that? We actually do our own mosquito control. 
Um, it's part of my process when, especially this time of year, when I'm at a house proposing anything, I always talk to them about their mosquito control and what they can do to prevent having mosquitoes swarm their yards. Okay, so what would that be? Getting rid of any standing water. You know, if they have like a old bird bath that they don't use that has water in it, could be a trash can lid that's flipped over with water. Those are natural breeding grounds for mosquitoes. Okay, so how quickly will they put larvae in that standing water? In other words, if you have a bird bath, do you have to go with a hose every day and change that water? I mean, how quickly will it will it attract mosquitoes? I wouldn't say every day, but probably every couple of days you should, especially this time of year, because the, the water is going to warm up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And what can you do about it? What can your company do? We have a mosquito program where we use a backpack mister. And we will go all around the house, up underneath the leaves of shrubs. If there's any standing water, like, you know, retention ponds that are filled with water, we have floating briquettes that are environmentally sound. It won't hurt fish or anything else, but it will take care of eggs and larvae. Okay. Dr. Kaler, what, what's the most common thing that's being used right now to kill mosquitoes? Okay, and the floats that are put in the containers, that usually has BTI, which is a bacterium. And so when they ingest the little particles of that float, they then die as a result of ingesting that bacterium. That is a specific disease for insects, so it doesn't hurt fish or birds or other wildlife. Okay. As a matter of fact, uh, sometimes uh, raccoons will come and eat those. Uh, they usually look like donuts. Uh, they'll come along and eat them, and then, of course, it's no good for, for mosquito control. <laughs> and what about the mist that they're using? Okay, the, the mists have uh, pyrethroids, which are chemicals that are very good for insect control. They're derived from the, the chemicals that were synthesized from chrysanthemum flowers. So basically, uh, you're dealing with something that is very close to a natural product. Now, one thing that we don't think about is the mosquito is the most dangerous animal in the world. There are more deaths that are caused by mosquitoes than you have caused by sharks or bears or lions or snakes all wrapped into one. We have to take them seriously, and I think a couple of years ago we had uh, the outbreak of Zika uh, that caused a lot of concern, and we still have Zika cases reported in Florida and other states, so we have to look very seriously at mosquito control and try to keep those numbers down. Okay, and there's a lot of new ways that are being um, created to fight mosquitoes right now. Genetically modified fungus is the latest thing that I just I just read about. Genetically modified mosquitoes. People are concerned about letting these GMO species out into the wild. What do you say about that? Well, they are concerned about some of the new technologies that have come along. And basically, before those can be used in any way in the United States, they have to show a great degree of safety. So I think that uh, we have to rely on the scientists that are doing those determinations to make sure that whatever is being done is being done safely. The mistblower treatments that Steve described are very good for control of these backyard living mosquitoes. We did some research here to find that you can get uh, 8 to 16 weeks of residual control of mosquitoes with a good application of those products. Is that what you're finding, Steve? You go back every month or two, or how often are you going back to spray? We go back monthly, mm-hmm. um, and then there's a preseason program and a postseason program. So those months where there's not supposed to be mosquitoes, 
they can still also purchase those too, but it is a monthly service. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good program that he Mm -hmm. described. When you talk about uh, everyone needs to empty containers where these mosquitoes might develop, it's a very difficult process, and that's where the briquettes that are put out for mosquito control can be very helpful because the mosquitoes will lay eggs on the sides of the containers. Then if you don't scrub those containers when you empty them, the eggs will still be on the sides of the container, and when they get flooded again, then the larvae are going to hatch out. Oh, no. So it's not enough just to empty the containers. You have to actually scrub them out. Steve, are you telling people that? Yes, ma'am. We are. (laughs) Oh, well, that's new to me. That's just more work. Let me ask you about natural mosquito repellents. We got an email from a listener, uh, Lauren Englander, that she has a small business in Clearwater. They make natural cedar oil-based products that you can use as a repellent in your home for pest control on your pets and your plants is what she's writing us. She says it works great and is DEET-free. What about these natural repellents? I I had heard DEET was the most effective way to fight things like the Zika virus, but a lot of people don't like putting chemicals like that on their skin, on the skin of their children, and they want something more natural. Well, if you go to the CDC website and take a look at the mosquito repellents that are approved, there are only three that are approved, and I don't believe cedar oil is one of those. Um, Maybe they need to generate some data to be able to show that their product is just as effective as the others. All right, let's move on to termites. Termites have been swarming. Uh, I've heard from coworkers. I know myself. You see these, they kind of look like flying ants, like big flying ants swarming around. Mm -hmm. Steve, which termites do you have to be worried about? Which ones maybe you don't need to worry about that they're destroying your house? You have to be worried about all termites, whether they're subterraneans or dry woods. Right now we're in dry wood swarm season. We're kind of getting ant swarms at the same time. So we're getting calls that, you know, my house is loaded with termites we get there and we find that they have an ant swarm. Best way to tell would be with a termite swarm. The, the wings are usually about double the length of the body, just as a quick look. For termites, the wings are double the length of the body. Yes. And for ants? They're about the same length as the body. Okay. Now, I know that I had a swarm called a pest local pest control company, mm-hmm. and they told me that I didn't need to worry about it, that I just need to sweep up the termites. These weren't the kind that would really destroy my wood. All termites are going to eat wood and do damage to your house. It's usually about an average of about seven to $8,000 before you know that you have them. The hardest thing to do is convince somebody that they need to be proactive instead of reactive as far as getting a preventative treatment. Um, but no, you do need to worry about all termites. Subterraneans tend to eat wood a lot faster because they're traveling up and down mud tubes and there's larger colonies. Dry woods tend to eat a little bit slower, but they're all going to do damage to your home. Okay. Uh, Dr. Kaler, is there a particular kind that we should worry about? Well, termites are going to eat on a house 24 hours a day, all days of the year. So a large termite uh, colony in someone's house can eat a pound of wood per day. So it's important to keep a handle on what's going on in your house from the standpoint of termites. And of course, most people find out they have an infestation when the termites swarm. Was this a pretty good termite swarming season, Steve? Uh, so far, dry woods has been, uh, I'd say, a little bit larger than last year when we had our subterranean swarms earlier in the year. I saw some rather large ones this year, yeah. 
And then with the termites, we're also dealing with invasive termites that have been brought in from other countries. And you folks down there have Formosan termites in the in the Tampa Bay area. This is a swarming season for them as well as dry woods. So I don't know if you've seen any swarms of those, Steve. I haven't heard of any. Um, the farthest north that I've heard of Formosan so far has been kind of St. Pete Largo area. I have not dealt with a Formosan swarm as far as because I'm out of Newport Ritchie, Port Ritchie right. area. Have not dealt with one up there yet. They've been the longest down in Hallandale, Florida, which is down by Fort Lauderdale. They've also been for a long time out in the Panhandle. Mm-hmm. Out in the Panhandle, they're telling me that the average loss for a person would be about $60,000 for every Formosan termite infestation that's found. This is the Formosan termites, I think, is the one, because I did live in the Panhandle at one time. Mm -hmm. Those were the ones they told us to really be worried about. Yes, you need to be worried about those. And the problem with Formosan termites and even native termites is going to be the hurricane season. When we have a hurricane come in like what came into Panama City last year, A lot of the roofs came off of houses, even though there were hurricane tie-downs, because the termites had eaten off the wood that was supposed to hold the roof on. Oh, my gosh. So the hurricane tie-downs did not work. And we we even saw that several years ago down down around uh, Lee County, uh, Fort Myers area, where the roofs came off of the houses uh, because the hurricane tie-downs failed due to termite damage of the wood that it was supposed to be holding. Okay, so can you think of any reason why I might have been told that there was nothing to do about the termite infestation I had or the swarm I had, that it wasn't going to really damage the house enough to warrant tenting the house or something like that? And also another co-worker who moved into an apartment building had a swarm, and of course she was concerned about it, and they told her the same thing, that there was really nothing that could be done about it and it wasn't going to cause problems. To me, it does sound like bad information, Um, depending on the swarm. The only thing that tenting will work for is dry wood termites. So if it was a subterranean swarm or a Formosan swarm, it's really not going to help you too much because they're coming up out of the ground, usually in sealed uh, what we call mud tubes. Mm -hmm. That just keeps the moisture because they require a higher moisture content that they're bringing up out of the ground. What do you do about those kinds of termites? Those types of termites, we do what we call a barrier. Okay, which wherever there's concrete around the original slab of the house, we would drill down and then create a barrier or a trench around where your mulch or your landscaping areas would be and flood that with product. Now, if you're on a a crawl home or a supported slab, then it would require us to drill through the block, what we call angle drilling, so we can hit the dirt that's underneath the slab, the inside of the block, and then the outside. So that way we would take care of subterraneans that way. And then you would just have to replace whatever wood was already damaged. So that's what you do. Many people think that termite control is something that they can handle themselves. They really can't because they don't have the equipment like what Steve has to be able to put put the treatment in the correct location to provide protection of the house. Yeah, it sounds like it takes a professional to do that. It does, and it, it requires a lot of training because you, you'll encounter, every time I go to a house, I find something new. So what sign should you look for if you, you know, you're worried about termites? Uh, if you're looking for, say, drywood termites, okay, you might see a pile of pellets, which is basically almost petrified wood because they squeeze all the moisture out of it. 
Drywood termites are a very clean termite, so they kind of push the feces out of their galleries, which will start creating a pile. So if you start seeing stuff that kind of looks like maybe a salt and pepper. Or like or, wood shavings kind of like. Yeah, but it'll be like a little tiny ball. Oh, oh, okay. Depending on what type of wood they're eating or the color of the wood will determine mm-hmm. you know, the color of the pile. But if you clean that up and you see it again, then your best bet is to call a professional and have them come identify it. Okay. Is there such a thing as a palmetto bug or are we just looking at gigantic roaches and calling them palmetto bugs because that makes us feel better, Steve? The palmetto bugs that I know of, we call the American roach. It's a larger roach. There's numerous different kinds, but the palmetto bug that everybody talks about, I'm familiar as the, the American roach. Dr. Kaler, what's the Yeah, the Chambers of Commerce in Florida like to call cockroaches something else so people don't get freaked out. (laughs) And I think the Tampa Bay area is always the number one place in the country for cockroach infestations. And a lot of that has to do with American cockroaches, as Steve mentioned, that really prefer living in sewers and very wet places. And, of course, you folks have a lot of rain through most of the year, and American cockroaches do very well. They're kind of the canary of the sewer system, so sewer workers don't like to go down into sewers to work. Because they fly around? um, If cockroaches aren't (laughs) down there. They will fly around, and at certain times they are attracted to light, so you can see them swarming to light. (laughs) The the biggest roach that I deal with in our area would be the Australian roach, not as large as the uh, American roach. That's normally what people are calling palmetto bugs in our area. You just spray them? You come spray for roaches? That's what you do about that? Well, with in our company, we don't like to use a lot of liquids inside mm-hmm. uh, more because you know, that's more of a contact kill. We use a lot of, we're environmentally friendly. So we use a lot of baits and dusts, the dust being a uh, boron-based. We call it Nibor-D. Um, it's more systemic. So when they go through it, they're a self-grooming insect. They'll you know, go to clean themselves or whatever, and they'll ingest it and eventually die. There used to be this detergent, I think, called borax, yes, and you ma'am. could put the borax around. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I don't know if that's in the stores anymore. No, but, it's still there. Yeah. I saw it in Publix three days ago. Yeah, and that's <laughs> what you're talking about, basically. Yes, ma'am, a version that, of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that effective, Dr. Kaler? Yes, as long as it stays as a dust as opposed to clumping up and not then not getting picked up by the cockroaches. There are baits out there also which have been very effective, and cockroaches for quite a while had pretty well disappeared because the baits were so effective. But now we're seeing cockroaches come back somewhat because of what is called bait aversion, where there are some components in the bait that cause the cockroaches not to eat it any longer. And so it's a constant war between us trying to come up with new formulations of products to be able to overcome the resistances that the cockroaches build up. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because that was something I wanted to talk to you about. Sometimes when we try to kill things, we may just make them stronger and they evolve like antibiotic resistant bacteria. So is there a chance that, say, by spraying too much insecticide, we could be just be creating stronger insects and that we're just going to keep this battle going? That's what happened. What has happened over the years is that the more we spray, the more resistant uh, the pests become. So that's where what we call an integrated pest management program is important. 
where you start out with things that would prevent the pest from being there to begin with, then your last resort would be to be able to go in and kill them with a product. So most of the pests are prevented before they get there. Steve, how would you tell people to prevent roaches from coming into their house in the first place? To be proactive instead of reactive. You know, have layers of protection put around the outside of their home. Make sure that all of their weather stripping around their doors and windows is intact and there's no light coming through because, you know, they're going to get through cracks and crevices. Um, But definitely having layers of protection around the outside of the home from a pest control company. Are there types of mulch that attract roaches? You put that all around the sides of your house, and you don't want something that's going to attract roaches. I find more roaches in the pine bark mulch than I do in, you know, your normal cypress mulch or anything like that. Um, Just from digging around looking for termites, I'll stumble across a lot more roaches. Yeah, the cockroaches need places in order to hide and live. And the pine bark mulch gives them that kind of environment that they love, uh, whereas some of the denser mulches do not provide that. On Facebook, we had a comment from Tazia Kallenbach-Stagg. She referred us to the Pinellas chapter of the Florida Native Plant Society and a post there by Jan Allen uh, showing concern about overspraying of insect populations and basically that we need to get over fright of insects, learn to live with them because they are important to the environment. Other species do depend on them as food and we need to find a balance. What do you say to that, Dr. Kaler? Well, the only thing I can say is that that's going to be a a hard sell for most people that have come down from the north to say that they need to live with some of these insects that we've been talking about this morning. And as a matter of fact, when I first started at the University of Florida quite a while ago, I was actually housed at the USDA as a University of Florida professor. And then I was having to move back to the university, and I asked my department chairman, when are you going to give me a lab for my cockroaches and termites and and mosquitoes and bed bugs and all the things that nobody wants? And he said, never go build your own building. (laughs) And, and, And guess what? Uh, I had to do that because even the entomologist didn't want the insects around that we deal with. Really? (laughs) So I think there are some insects that are basically dangerous that you really don't want to have in in your house. It's not exactly responsible to say that you need to live with these. But are roaches, you know, they worry me. I I don't want to see a gigantic flying roach. But mosquitoes carry disease. But do roaches, are roaches really dangerous? Cockroaches are known to transmit uh, over 50 different kinds of pathogens. So, for instance, if you have like a chicken wing fall behind a deep fat fryer at a restaurant, then you have bacteria growing on that over time. A cockroach can come along and start eating those bacteria, then transfer those bacteria up onto food preparation surfaces. And it doesn't have to be in a restaurant. It can be in a house as well. I see. So many other bugs. We didn't get to bed bugs. We didn't get to ants. Uh, we didn't get to locusts. There's ticks. You know, you guys must be in demand at dinner parties. <laughs> Nobody wants to discuss my job at dinner. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I discuss it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Steve Fuse of Truly Nolan and Dr. Phil Kaler from the University of Florida Entomologist specializing in urban entomology. Thank you both so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's been fun uh, talking about insects with you. 
You can tweet us at Florida Matters, and you can find Florida Matters as a podcast. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. The engineer is Craig George. The show is produced by Stephanie Colombini. I'm Robin Sessingham. Thanks for listening.